Our sermon text this morning is Psalm 67, which is printed for you on the back of your order of worship. This is, friends, God's holy and inerrant word that we're about to hear. His word is more precious than gold. It is the most precious thing in your life. It's more precious even than finer gold. His word, beloved, is sweeter than honey. It is the sweetest thing that you'll ever know. Sweeter even than the drippings of the honeycomb. Listen to it now. Psalm 67. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth Fear him. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all the holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Now, by your grace and your spirit, enable us to hear this portion of your word. And to read, mark, learn and inwardly digest these words that we may embrace and even more hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Every week at the end of our Lord's Day worship, after we have confessed our sins and received forgiveness, after we've sung our hymns and prayed our prayers, after we've heard the word read and preached and received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, then we come finally to the end. And I say something like this. Now as you go from this place, go with the blessing and the name of your God resting upon you. May it be for you as a crown upon your heads and a mantle about your shoulders. And then I lift my hands in the air, as you know, and I say, Beloved, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. It's important for you to know, beloved, that this practice of blessing you, blessing God's people, is not something I thought was cool and invented. 
It's not something that Presbyterians thought up. No, this action of blessing the people of God with those words and in that manner is rooted in God and God's intention and the actions and plans and provision of God himself. This practice was instituted by the living God more than 3,000 years ago. In Leviticus 9, we read of the very first worship service that took place at the tabernacle immediately after the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests for Israel. And everything in this worship service was done precisely according to the command and instruction of God. After Aaron offered the prescribed sacrifices for Israel, Leviticus tells us how that worship service ended. It says that when Aaron came out of the tent of meeting, he lifted up his hands towards the people and he blessed them. This practice is right there at the very first service of the worship of God's people. This blessing of God's people by his appointed representative, the priest or pastor, is a fundamental part of the worship that God has instituted for his people to receive the renewal of his covenant with them so that as they depart from worship, they might be assured of God's presence and God's name and God's blessing going with them. In number six, we then read that the Lord gave instruction to Aaron so that he might know precisely what words he should say when he was to bless the people and also the reason for that blessing. We heard it this morning in the Old Testament reading. The Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Speak to Aaron and his sons and say, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. Not any old way, but in this way, the Lord said. You shall do it by saying to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then the Lord goes on to say, So they, that is Aaron and his sons, shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. The last verse of that text is fascinating. The Lord says, in this manner, Aaron and the priests after him will put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You see, the blessing prescribed by God in number six to be pronounced at the conclusion of the worship of his people is no mere well-wishing. It is not merely a petition that, God, perhaps, would you please be gracious and kind No, this blessing is the way that God himself ordained for his very name to be put on his people, to be placed on them, to be sealed upon them. It is a binding of God to his people and a binding of God's people to himself so that, as the Lord says, he would indeed bless them with himself as they depart from their worship. Fascinatingly, Jesus' last recorded act on earth before his ascension into heaven 
was to do this very same thing, to bless his people in this way. As Luke records in the 24th chapter of his gospel, and Jesus led his disciples out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, just as Aaron did, he blessed them. While he blessed them, Luke says, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now remember for a moment what Jesus was doing as he ascended to heaven. Why was he going to heaven. He was going there to take up his new role as the great and final high priest. The new Aaron, so to speak, the greater Aaron, who would serve his people in heaven in the true tabernacle, the temple made without hands, the true dwelling place of the living God. And as Jesus takes up this role, we can be confident that the words that he used to bless his people there at Bethany as he ascended into heaven as the new high priest, as the greater Aaron, were the same words that had been given to the first Aaron more than three, I'm sorry, more than a thousand years before. Jesus would have said to his disciples as he went into heaven, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you. And give you peace. And this is why in our tradition only an ordained pastor may give the benediction. At the end of the Lord's day worship. Because it is a fundamental part of his work, his labors, his service. As a representative of Jesus to his people. And thus it should only be pronounced by one who has been set apart by the church for that work. And this is also why, at least in our church, the benediction in number six is the only benediction that we use at the conclusion of our worship service. Because these are the precise words that God instructed his ordained representative to speak to his people in order that his name might be put upon them. These are the words through which God has promised by his own divine oath, to bless them. And so when you receive the benediction every week, beloved, know that you are receiving something real. Not just a petition, not just a a general well-wishing. No, you're receiving the name of the true and living God being put upon you as God himself ordained for it to be done. But what should our response to the benediction be? that we receive every week? What do we do with this remarkable blessing, this sealing of the name of God upon us? I want to argue this morning that Psalm 67 is rightly understood as a kind of congregational prayer, a congregational response to the number six blessing. I think that's probably why it was actually written, for the people to pray and sing and use to respond to the blessing of God as it was put upon them at the end of their worship. Listen to how our psalm this morning begins. Imagine a congregation having just heard the words of number six, praying and singing or singing these words in response to that benediction. The priest says, the Lord bless you and keep you, etc. And the people say, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine 
upon us. These are words of reception, beloved. This is a prayer asking for the Lord to do just what he has promised in the blessing of the congregation that they have just received, using the very words of the blessing prescribed in number six. But why does the congregation pray for God to bless them? For what purpose are they blessed? Listen to verses one to three as a whole. The congregation says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And then they speak to God. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, in this psalm, the blessing of God for God's people is given for the sake of the world. The psalmist is teaching the congregation to pray for God's blessing to rest upon them so that God's way might be known on earth, so that God's saving power might be known among the nations. The congregation is praying for the expansion of God's kingdom. They say in verses 4 to 5, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, they say. And remember, all this flows out of God's blessing of his people. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you, they say to God, judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, they say. Let all the peoples praise you. This connection between our reception of God's blessing and the consequent blessing of the nations may not seem like an obvious connection. Isn't the blessing that God gives us something that he gives us because he loves us, because he's pleased with our faithfulness? Isn't God's blessing our special possession? But friends, if we limit our thinking in that way, we have missed the biblical plot. Because at the very beginning of the story, God's blessings for his people were to be for the sake of the entire world. Remember the word of the Lord to Abram when he said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And he said, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Why? so that you will be a blessing. The Lord said to him, I will bless you, those who bless you, Abram, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, to, to bear God's name, to have God's name put upon us, to receive God's blessing is actually something of a complicated thing. We stretch out our hands every Sunday morning for God's blessing, and that is right. But we can't miss what that blessing is for. To be blessed by God in this way, to have God's name put upon us, is about far more than affirming our own personal hopes and dreams. It's about being caught up in something much bigger than ourselves being caught up in the great story of God's redemption of the world, 
to receive God's blessing is to be set apart for him as a people for himself that he might use our lives and our persons as he would desire for our good and for his glory, which will be revealed in the great harvest of the nations. And that often looks different than how we might imagine it to look. It certainly looked different than how Abraham Abraham imagined his life going as he wandered the land of promise and waited decades and decades for his son to be born. And then finally, at the climax of his life, offered that promised son as a sacrifice to God. That's what it meant for Abraham to receive God's blessing, to bear the name of God. Abraham's reception of God's blessing meant, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it, that he died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that he was a stranger and an exile on earth. But why did Abraham receive this blessing? Why do we receive the blessing that we receive every Lord's Day? It was so that through Abraham and through us, as we participate in that same Abrahamic promise through Jesus, so that all the families of the earth would themselves be blessed. We receive the blessing that we receive in order that the great story of God might continue, that the blessing that God intends for the world might continue to spread throughout all of his creation. In other words, to receive God's blessing as we do each Sunday is to be sent out into the world in the way of Jesus, knowing that, yes, Jesus is with us, but also that Jesus will use us will use our lives for the sake of blessing others because that is what he did himself. Remember, the Jesus who blessed his disciples as he ascended into heaven is also the same Jesus who taught them, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. How do we bear fruit in the world, beloved? By dying. By dying. This is what it means to bear the blessing and name of Jesus, our great high priest. It means to serve him and to follow him and to trust that he will do for us what his father did for him that he will make all of our sufferings, all of our little deaths, and even our actual literal death when it comes, fruitful for the sake of the world. Beloved, this is why being a Christian is a beautiful thing. To be a Christian is not beautiful because our lives are easier or less complicated. No, to be a Christian is beautiful because to bear God's blessing means that you are caught up in a story that is bigger than you, that is not fundamentally about you. You are caught up in the story of God and that you actually carry with you the name of Jesus like a crown 
upon your head and a mantle about your shoulders. And that name of Jesus means that you go where he went. And your story, like his story, is a story of death and resurrection for the sake of the world. Beloved, I want you to see how this psalm ends. It ends on such a profound note of hope and exultation. Listen to the psalmist's words in verses 6 and 7. The psalmist says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The psalmist begins in verse 6 with a picture of the harvest. Right, The earth has yielded its increase, he says. This has taken place. The rain has fallen, the sun has shone, the seeds have sprouted, and the harvest has come. And because the psalmist rightly understands that all these things take place each year because of God's work, because of God's faithfulness, he also knows that God will indeed keep his promise to bless his people. The earth has yielded its increase, he says, and thus we know. God, our God, shall bless us. And then in verse 7, he brings his prayer to a conclusion. The congregation says together, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You see, what the psalmist is teaching the congregation to say here is, is meant to teach them that the blessing of God is not ineffective. That God's blessing will do just as God intends for it to do. God will bless his people. And because of the blessing of God on his people, God will bring about the rich harvest of the nations of the world, such that even the ends of the earth will fear him. Beloved, this is a picture. This whole psalm is a picture of the ultimate success of the kingdom of God. This is a picture of what God intends to do through his people by the preaching of the gospel of his son, by the work of his Holy Spirit. A rich harvest of the nations. Somehow in the last century or so, in Christianity in the West, there has arisen this understanding that's become popularized of human history and human time and the future that says that, you know, evil is going to get stronger and stronger the more time goes by. And God's people will get smaller and smaller. And the church will decline. And then just in time, you know, Jesus will return at the last hour and snatch his little church that remains out of the fire. Beloved, I don't know where that came from exactly. But it did not come from the scriptures. Because that is not the vision that the scriptures give of the future of human history. The vision that the scriptures give is of the slow and certain expansion of God's kingdom over time. That it will be, as Jesus says, like a seed planted in the ground that grows up 
into a great tree that is so large, Jesus says, that the birds of the air come and make nests in all its branches. The vision of the scriptures is Jesus declaring that he will build his church and that even the gates of hell will not stand against it, which is an offensive metaphor, by the way, not a defensive one. Right? Even hell itself, Jesus says, will be invaded and conquered by the church that he will build. The vision of the scriptures is Jesus sending his apostles out, saying to them, go now into all the world, right? even those parts of the world that you don't even know exist right now, and make disciples of every nation, of all the nations, baptizing in the triune name and teaching people everywhere, not just to you know, accept me into their hearts, but to obey everything that I have commanded you. The vision of the scriptures is that through the reign of Jesus and the church that is his body, the earth will one day be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. The vision of the scriptures is the vision of the voice of the angel in Revelation who proclaims, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Beloved, the blessing of God is real, and God's blessing will have the effect that God intends, even this day and this church and around the world, as Christians worship, God continues to bless his people. And he does it for this reason, so that the nations will be harvested. So that they will be brought into the kingdom of his son. So that his way will be known upon earth. So that his salvation will be enjoyed among all nations. Beloved God, indeed shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Show the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord, and guard us by your perpetual blessing that giving thanks to you in holy fear, we may attain to win the fruit of righteousness and join in with the praise of all the nations of the earth before the face of your majesty, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs>